Welcome back to the podcast. It's your host, John Scardina. I am so excited for this episode. I have a, an amazing opportunity, an amazing opportunity to have Latasha Thompson on here. She's the director of DHS Safety Act. We're going to talk about what that means, but just as a little backup, or as we, we talk about this conversation, I met Latasha probably almost about a year ago now when we were looking at building the emergency management response for dynamic populations course, and we kind of accidentally stumbled across it. We were, uh, of course, in terms of competencies, trying to help emergency managers deal with crisis leadership and to walk through different scenario types so that they could be more effective in disaster, right? And so that was kind of the game plan as we were building it. But in due course of that, we found this cool conference and I, I saw this this title, DHS Safety Act, and what is DHS Safety Act? And so I started diving in deeper, and I learned that there's an entire segment that can help out emergency managers, security professionals in stadiums and other locations learn about uh, protecting themselves against terrorism and uh, looking at all these different aspects that DHS has designated to help them out. And so uh, with that background in mind, uh, I've gotten to, to know Latasha. She's an amazing resource if you are good friends with her like I am. You get to call her Tasha, but we'll be professional on this. <laughs> But without further ado, I'd like to bring her on the, on the show and hear from her perspective to help you in the field see uh, what, it's, what DHS Safety Act is all about, and it could possibly help you out in, in your field. So here we go. Hello, Tasha. Hi, John. How are you? I'm fantastic. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you on here. Thanks for making the time to talk with me today. Yes, I'm just so glad we were able to make this happen. I know we we kept on trying there for a while, so I'm glad it, it, we finally pulled it off. But um, so you're out there in D.C., and I'm here in St. Louis, and it's too far apart to be honest, because you provide such an amazing perspective of not only DHS Safety Act, but you came out to a die pop before, and I could see your leadership style. And so you you are such a great resource for all these different aspects that we can learn from um, on a podcast. And so just to give some context, I kind of gave a brief overview, obviously, but who are you? Like, what's your background? And then can you tell us more about DHS Safety Act? Uh, I'm actually, uh, John, a 20-year civil servant, started in the Department of Defense as a, a double uh, electronics engineer. Uh, engineering has pretty much been my profession throughout the entire 20 years. Um, but, you know, John, I had this really unique uh, perspective and ability to communicate the highly technical things to end users. And so I sort of fell into program management. And um, and because of that, uh, I am actually now the program manager and director for the Safety Act program. Uh, and it's, it's really important for me to uh, communicate that safety if, if in our program is actually an acronym. I mean, you can't be a government agency without a fabulous acronym, right? Um, and it stands for Support Anti-Terrorism by Fostering Effective Technologies Act. And it was enacted in 2002 along with the uh, Homeland Security Act. And uh, the Safety Act was really born out of an interest or a reluctance is what I should say amongst the private sector to continue to invest and um, develop and deploy anti-terrorism technologies. You know, after 9-11, it was just uh, a, a, an 
uh, there were a lot of uh, claims filed against various products and companies um, that may have been implicated in that terrorist event. And the government and Congress really thought, hey, we, do, we really need the private sector to continue to invest and uh, to continue to develop and deploy these types of technologies to protect our homeland. How do we continue to innovate? And so therefore the Safety Act was born out of that interest. Real quick, we're gonna pause for this week's Disaster Tough endorsements. How do you spell Doberman Emergency Management? EOP, OEP, HVA, HMP, Thyra, TTX, Drone, PDA. Whenever you need an expert, Doberman Emergency Management field experts are there for support. Contact an expert at DobermanEMG.com today. The L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio solves problems and is specifically designed for emergency services. How do we know? We field tested it with medical, urban search and rescue and collapse and confined structures. This radio is amazingly tough. Check out the L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio at L3Harris.com right now. Okay, let's jump back in. So when we're talking about technologies, I just did a course with Zach Borse or an episode with Zach Borse about, you know, artificial intelligence and emerging technologies. So when you talk about technologies and counterterrorism technologies, can you provide some examples of like really what that means for you? Sure. When we talk about technologies for the purposes of the Safety Act, we like to say it's big T technology. <laughs> and we say big T because it is very broad and it was Congress's intent to be broad, right? So it can include products such as uh, devices, uh, screening uh, devices. Um, it can include wedge barriers. Um, so any sort of product, widget or gadget but it's also inclusive of services. So security mm. services, security programs, um, training services, John, uh, to be included in that as well. Uh, risk management services. Um, and then also different types of software. So maybe there's an app that supports or has an anti-terrorism nexus. Those are all inclusive for us in terms of what we call technologies. Copy. So just for like my sake of understanding, because I'm, I'm learning here too a little bit. <laughs> when you go in, I, I know you also go into venues, like you'll go into an NFL stadium and you'll say, hey, is this going to be Safety Act certified, right? Do you also go on the opposite end to go to the technology companies as well and to make sure like, I, let's say, I don't know, some security camera company wants to get safety act is that is that even a thing or is do you do work more on the venues who are capturing um all the different technologies that they could possibly use for counterterrorism yeah john that is a very good question and a question that we get quite often when we are evaluating a stadium or an arena uh, for security uh, for safety act protections we take an opportunity to uh, look at their multi-layered uh, approach to security so it's helpful for us to see it in action as opposed to just reading it on paper. You know, there's some things that just doesn't elevate and rise to a level of understanding simply looking at the paper. And so we augment our evaluation uh, by conducting site visits and going to these large venues and walking 
um, around the, you know, the perimeter, um, having a chance to see uh, security briefings in action, what is communicated, uh, having an opportunity to see ingress and egress. Um, so it helps us say, oh, okay, now that I've seen that, it allows me to understand what we see in the application package. Copy. I, I do think it's a little ironic that you're saying there's like a paper application and you're all about technologies. We need to upgrade <laughs> your system. I don't make applications, but somebody's out there as part of the me can make you an application to go through that. But absolutely, um, it's funny that you say that, John, because we've uh, we've we've had those conversations, and the reason that our program is so paper based. Is because it is a litigation management tool. So having evidence, um, so you know, when we provide protections to applicants, um, the the advantage is that now they have something that they can take into court with them if for some reason there is an act of terrorism and their technology is implicated in uh, in in such an event. And so if that happens, we need to make sure that we have the evidence to support any sort of uh, litigation that takes place. Copy. So that the the document that I think of when I think of emergency management, like the really the only like legal document that we would probably use that I was aware of before this was like a continuity of operations plan, which shows like delegations of authorities Absolutely. who can essentially sign the check when the person who signs the check is not in the office or make those decisions, even for evacuations. I remember working at the National Cancer Institute and there was a conversation that if we need to evacuate the building, only the emergency coordinator, who is essentially the head of uh, maintenance, or the director for uh, for one of the, the actually the director for maintenance could actually say evacuate the building. Well, if those two people are, are out of pocket, whether they're at a training or in the hospital for whatever reason, they didn't have a procedure in place to do that. And so, in our continuity of operations plan, we had to write out those delegations and who could do that. And mm -hmm. so, from that perspective, I I can conceptualize the the process of what you're talking about here. As an emergency manager, emergency management is really changing our scope of fr from, you know, you're talking about 2002, even even before that, or even maybe even up to 2010, emergency management was really only known for the, the public sector, right? Like FEMA, right? Federal Emergency Management Agency. But now organizations are either hiring emergency managers or they're requiring their heads of security to have emergency management competency. As somebody who was with us to talk about security, mass care, evacuations, medical transport and triage, uh, public relations, Seaburn, um, and you know, I think uh, mass care, if I haven't mentioned that one, as we talked about that in dynamic populations and you saw that emergency management perspective, how can emergency managers who are listening to this call or maybe security professionals say, hey, I was hired by this university, we have a big stadium, or I'm a security, you know, I'm head of security at, you know, this NFL stadium, whatever. How can somebody, or rather, how, how can you support them and they start to interact with you so that they can overcome some of these issues? We actually work with a number of emergency managers within our applicant community. Hmm. Um, 
we often are, um, some of the engagements that we've had with um, emergency managers is uh, collaborating and sharing, you know, best practices, as well as just sharing where the threats are taking us. What, you know, what new targets are we identifying mm -hmm. such that we can respond, prepare, um, and recover from those. And so when we are looking or evaluating a, um, let's say, a security program, an overarching security program, we often look at their emergency response plans and incident management plans. Mm. Now, what we, what we notice quite often is that plans often aren't updated. <laughs> it becomes yes. shelfware. And so we encourage with our applicant community that 360 degree feedback loop as it relates to emergency response and emergency management, right? So mm. you have a plan in place, you've identified what your threats and your vulnerabilities are and what the potential consequences and impacts could be. You're developing yeah. a plan that is focused specifically on that. And so, you know, there's no one size fit all. Right. So um, thinking about what emergency management would look like on the East Coast versus the West Coast and the types of catastrophic events that can happen based on those different um, just geographical locations. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then making sure that your plan is um, it aligns with what you've identified as your risks and your threats. Um, and then the key piece, and this is the piece that we often work really closely with our applicant community is how do you test that? Making mm. sure that you are assessing that everyone's aware of the plan, everyone knows what to do when something happens mm. and what you learn from those types of exercises. So doing those tabletops, um, doing a cutover in terms of your generator. How do you know it works if you've never tested it? <laughs> right. Um, and then yeah. Once you have done those assessments and those tests, what did you learn from those? And now how does it feed back into your plan? Right. So it's like that 360 degree um, uh, scenario that we encourage our applicant community to consider. One of the things that this is going to be brutally honest. One of the things that bothers me about you is that you keep telling me that you're not an emergency manager. But every time you talk about emergency management, you get it. In fact, I wish I could give you a high five. Maybe we'll put in a cheering sound in here later because <laughs> one of my biggest holdups, well, biggest holdups, a couple problems that I've identified going around the country is the same thing. Plans are outdated. They're bricks on a shelf. I call them mm -hmm. bricks. Yeah. And it's like you, you write this whole plan. You don't include any of your stakeholders. You haven't identified your gaps to train, i.e. Yeah. test that generator. Yeah. For federal facilities, it's required. I think um, even hospitals, it's like once a week. But like yeah. in different places, they, it is so sporadic of what they provide. And and there's these, what I what I call like, um, I think I said it this morning on a text message to somebody, I loathe the existence of cookie cutter EM companies. <laughs> Or like, you know, even somebody, and I understand if you're working by yourself and you're like, dude, I just need to have something. And so you try to find a template, but like, so you go and do find and replace and try to change the name. It doesn't work like that. Right. You just, I mean, gosh, you just called it up. Maybe because that, the engineer in you, you know, like East Coast versus West Coast, the hazards are so different. Well, I would say Absolutely. even within the same city, 
if it if it empties out at 5 p.m. and there's nobody there, that's one thing. First, it's a stadium that is built around a neighborhood. The considerations for both of those, even the traffic of that, is totally different. And, yeah. and how do they operate? And so I think that's a great call out for hazard vulnerability assessments, for emergency operations plans, for, let's see, what you also mentioned training and exercises. Mm-hmm. All fantastic call outs. And again, you're just another tool in the toolbox for an emergency manager to get in there. And uh, I think it's awesome that you, you, from a legal perspective, saying, hey, we see your paper. Let's go on site. Let's do a physical review. Let's see your actual stadium. Let's get some context here. And, you know, just just knocking it out of the park, quote unquote, doing it right for the right reason. And, um, you know, like what I would say is going above and beyond to get over some of those hurdles when when you're going in and you're developing your program i.e program manager director i've met i think now seven of your staff i believe (laughs) everybody is so cool i like (laughs) i love my job i like working at doberman but if i was gonna look for another job i might want to work with you guys but (laughs) we have some openings john (laughs) oh do you great hey for those who are listening uh don't apply because I'm going to apply. Um, <laughs> so like with your team, though, what I found was really fascinating was that everybody's really cool. They have that, 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 that culture. They're all they all believe. But the the personal experience is so totally different. It is. You know, you had a military officer for like 20 yeah. years who's like hyper focused on fitness. You have somebody <laughs> who's written her own book on spirituality. Like you have the whole gambit. How do you work with such a diverse population and how have you created a culture within the DHS Safety Act implementation so that people are so, I don't know if loyal is the right word, but you know what I mean? Like they, they are, yeah. they believe in the, in the business. They believe in what you're yeah. doing. How did, how did you create that? You know, it was really organic, John. Um, one, we, what I've noticed with the team that, you know, uh, my deputy director and I have cultivated is we were looking for individuals that had certain skill sets, uh, the ability to be able to build relationships and strong communication skills. And behind that team, <laughs> look, I see you, John. Yeah. <laughs> behind that team is um, a lot of subject matter experts. When I say green berets and those that have mm-hmm been in the field, um, who have extensive years of experience, um, I didn't need to replace them. I didn't need to, I wanted people within our team that, you know, could communicate, had strong project management skills, uh, that can build those relationships and just really was excited about the mission. And it has been really organic for our team. They come in six months, 75% of our team are, are, are new. They've been with us maybe less than a year and they've come in and they've seen, They've, you know, read a number of application packages. They've seen what we, uh, the discipline, the rigor, the thoroughness in terms of our evaluations. They've seen um, just what we're protecting, (laughs) right, to protect the homeland. I always like to share a really good story where one of our evaluators said to me when I came on board that he um, he had visited a venue And when he left that venue, he was like, my family and I will never visit this venue. 
ever. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't care what's I don't care who's performing. I don't mm-hmm. care who's playing. We're not going to this venue. Yeah. And after about a year and a half of working with this particular venue, um, our evaluator was like, there, this is this is best in class. They have gotten, awesome. they've understood what they wanted, what they needed, where their gaps were, and they really leaned in to improving. And that's really the mm-hmm. whole basis of it. The Safety Act program, it is an innovation and incentivizing program. That's what we want. This is my second brutal truth to you on this. Maybe the brutal truth about DHS Safety Act, we'll call this. But (laughs) I don't believe you when you say it's organic because I have seen your leadership approach up close and personal. I've seen your staff and how they talk about you. I've seen how they talk about the program. And no discredit to them about being professionals and wanting to get involved and understanding protecting the homeland you've seen it you know if you've seen the scenarios right if something catastrophic with the tools that are currently available happen at a stadium it will be worse than 9-11 period and to think about that so i don't want to discredit them but at the (laughs) same time leadership is required and leadership keeps a team together especially if 75 percent are under a year there yeah. was one gentleman that I met. Oh, man, I, I, I apologize for skipping out his name. Um, it, it was his first training he'd ever been to um, last year. He was uh, he was younger. Um, gosh, who was it? It probably was Joel. Joel, yes. <laughs> yes, Joel. The, um, and to, to hear his enthusiasm to working with you, to working in this program, um, to see what a, I actually feel kind of bad for him because... No joke. Again, brutal truth. Uh, every training scenario that he goes into will be more boring than what he had to experience <laughs> with us. Uh, top of the line, but um, like the the reality is, it's like building a culture and re- maintaining a culture is very difficult, especially if there's either a turnover or the program's growing and you need to add yeah. a, uh, several members to your team. We have, from a Doberman perspective kept that alive based off of three metrics and i don't know what your metrics are i'd love to hear what those are but we i constantly and they know this i constantly judge my staff off of three three principles okay intelligence they need to be highly intelligent um they need to have a high um moral code and they need to be incredibly ambitious Mm. and if they're if one of those are ever misaligned there's a problem for example, mm. if their ambition is higher than their moral code, they're going to do something wrong, and we need to get them out of here. If their intelligence is high but their ambition is low, you know that creates arrogance and not a lot of work. <laughs> and so keeping those three things in balance has allowed us, every time somebody comes in, we have a work culture where it's like, oh, I can be ambitious. Oh, I can provide ideas. Mm-hmm. They, they, they encourage me to share ideas. Not every idea is a good idea. But lots of seeds help, you know, build a forest, right? Yeah. So, or plant the garden. So, in terms of um, this, maybe this last segment here, your your thoughts, where an emergency manager, or really anybody, can take on from leadership perspective. What are the? I, I understand, like, so when I was at FEMA, I don't know if DHS does this too. Like, there's a yearly evaluations or even mm-hmm. quarterly evaluations. What are the tenants for you? Those pillars that you um, would provide another 
new leader in the field saying, hey, here are the tenants that I would judge, uh, you know, your staff off of? Mm, I love that question, John. The first one that comes to mind for me, and I say this to my team quite often, is to be curious. Ooh, be willing to <laughs> be <laughs> curious. Um, that is a that's a huge piece for me because, um, particularly on this program, as I mentioned, we we look at a lot of documentation, mm-hmm. and it can start to it, it can wear on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and things start kind of looking the same after a while, but starting, you know, encouraging them to be curious, to ask, you know, questions that they may think are just totally dumb, right? Mm-hmm. If it's something that pops up or resonates for you, don't let that go. Yeah. And it's, it's something that, uh, the team has really leaned into. I've, uh, I really like the phrase, there's no such thing as a stupid question, only stupid people. Wait, no, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love curious people and curious yeah, I questions. Too. I, I, I think it too. helps. I think there is a difference, though, between being curious, being, cur- being curious and being pessimistic. As we walk out of here, if somebody has been look- listening in like, I had no idea what DHS Safety Act was. I need this. I don't even know where to start. Where can somebody go to find you, essentially? Yes. So I would recommend reach out to us, access our website at safetyact.gov. That is a direct line into our program. Um, You have an opportunity to see all of the information about our program, the different types of resources that we have available um, to the private sector. And also just, um, we often have webinars and all sorts of training material. We also point many of our um, our external stakeholders to best practices. Uh, so it's just, a, it's just a wealth of information. And we're about to roll out a brand new uh, website refresh. So um, even if you, you know, touch base with us and, and take a look at that website today, make sure you come back in about 30 days and, and see its new uh, look and feel and the fresh material. Well, keeping it fresh with DHS Safety Act. Uh, Tasha, thank you so much for meeting with me today, for providing that guidance. Uh, again, calling yourself, that saying you're not an emergency maker <laughs> is a misnomer. You, you obviously get it. And I think you provide a lot of uh, really great tools just on this podcast alone for people to dive down and really start thinking about their own considerations. But you know, hopefully we can help out a few more people out in the field and say, hey, like I need to start looking at this counterterrorism stuff and these big T technologies as well as the soft technologies and kind of go from there. If you liked this episode, which you should have because Latasha Thompson <laughs> is amazing, uh, you need to give us a five-tart rating and subscribe. Go onto our social media channels for Disaster Tough Podcast. Tell us about your your thoughts. Tell us about how you've changed from bricks on a shelf to taking that 360 approach. Where have you found successes? We would love to hear that from the community and we'll see you for the next one. 